1: novice gardener, but it was one of those, you know, when you're a kid, you want to be astronaut. Uh, I wanted to be a dump truck driver for a while when I was six years, seven years old. And <clears throat> one of the things I wanted to be growing up was a horticulturist. And uh, yeah, I didn't know what that meant at first, but uh, learning about how God had created all of creation and how plants work and trees grow. And it was a fascinating thing for me. And I remember my grandmother allowed me in the back of her property out in rural Kentucky to put like a five foot by five foot plot where I could grow some vegetables and watermelon, those kind of things. And, uh, and it was horrible because uh, I didn't water it enough. I didn't tend the soil, weed it enough and uh, it produced zilch. But that started me on a lifelong journey of just really enjoying that aspect of working with my hands and tilling the soil and, and learning how those kind of things work to get the best out of it. We have some farmers in here, or I would say former farmers, who have plowed the land, right, Mr. McGowan? And they know you can't plant certain crops in certain terrain because you won't get the best out of it. The same thing happens with, like, apple trees and vines and other types of things. You want to get the best out of the plants or the trees that you're growing, you have to do some research. Well, I didn't do research when we first moved into our house over here in Center Township, but I knew I wanted some apple trees because I wanted to get some apples. Did you know that when you plant an apple tree, you don't get apples that year? Or the next? Or the next Or the next. It takes five to seven years after planting a new tree for it to establish its root system enough then to be able to focus growth on the upper part of the tree to produce the fruit necessary to get what you want from it. Did you know you also have to prune it and shape it? I didn't realize that. So YouTube has become my best friend in learning to garden. I have now four apple trees. This is the first year that one of my four is producing. And the frost took out the top of the tree, so I only have fruit about midway down to the bottom branches, so that the deer can come through and destroy the rest of them. But at least I'm seeing fruit grow on my trees, which is a miracle in and of itself. Did you know that you have to go out in the dead of winter with a ladder, sub-zero temperatures, and prune those stupid trees. (laughs) February is the ideal time to prune your apple trees in Western PA. March at the latest, but if you're pushing it into March, you're getting too late in the season. So here you see me around February with a stupid ladder In a heavy coat and gloves with my loppers and my nippers, my loppers and my nippers. I don't know what you guys call them here, but down south we call them loppers and nippers. And I'm nipping away. Did you know that in the pruning process of most plants that there are these things called suckers? Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you're not familiar with that, suckers grow, and please understand I'm talking about trees, in the crotch of the branch. You have the main trunk, that's my thumb here, and then you have a branch. And then sometimes there's a little piece of growth that starts to come right in the crotch of that tree. Guess what that does? Nothing. It sucks away the nutrients, the water, and everything that should be going down the branch but instead, it's like, hey, feed me. And you're like, no, I don't want to feed you because I want fruit on my branch. And you're like, and it's like, but please, I'm so pretty and green, and you don't want to hurt me. You have to just get over the feelings of that little sucker in the crotch of your branch. That'll preach. And yet, I'm sorry. Are you guys with me? Okay, I have a point to this, all right? You have to cut it off in order to get the best out of your tree. Did you know that you don't want branches that grow like this? I didn't know that. And I have a lot of healthy branches that grow like this, but guess what? They're supposed to grow this way in an apple tree. And so if they're growing this way, guess what you have to do to it? Why? Because it's taking nutrients and stuff away from the good branches that need to grow. And this doesn't tolerate storms and stress very well, but this one does. So you cut off the weaker growth. And then the good branches. I learned that not only do you cut off the suckers, but when you actually have a branch that's producing fruit, you assess the branch and you see, is there other lush growth growing on that branch, but is not producing any fruit? Guess what you have to do with that lush growth? You have to cut it off. Why? Because it's drawing nutrients away from where the fruit is, and you have to make sure that every ounce of nutrients going to the place of production. There's a, At the beginning of the season, um, you can't always tell, but there are dead branches too. I, you can't leave those on there because they take up space for good growth. So you have to cut those off. And also, in the process, it takes patience. I wanted to get fruit the very first year. Put those trees in there and I thought, it's this. you normally research and then do, but I like to do and then research. That's how I work. And so I start a project and then I get in over my head and I'm like, well, let me look up how to do this the right way, and you realize, oh, shoot i got to go a few steps back and, and redo some things that I did wrong that looked good but really weren't good. Same thing with trees, with those trees. I'm like, Ser-? and I told Sarah, I remember the first year I realized, I'm like, do you realize it's going to take about five to seven years before we get anything from these stupid trees? If I had only known that, would I have started the project? Probably. Probably not. <laughs> Jesus tells us in these types of terms what it means to abide in Him. The practice of patience requires the practice of abiding, and abiding is not always easy. Again, what is abiding? Abiding simply means remaining. If I abide in something, I'm remaining in it, or in Him, more to speak. John chapter 15, you'll turn there with me. I'm reading from not the New Living Translation today, but the ESV, or the English Standard Version. So follow along with me. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Do you know the context of this passage? John 14, they're in the upper room. It's before Jesus is arrested and led away to be crucified. John 15 is still in the upper room. We just drank the fruit of the vine as a representation of the body and the blood of Christ. And now Jesus has celebrated the Passover, and he's got a teaching moment around the table in that upper room with them. And in verse 15, or John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Some of the versions of Scripture says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Who's he speaking to? His disciples, his followers, those that have been with him from day one. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me what's the key to bearing fruit are you a branch that's connected to the vine because if you're not and you're on the ground you're not producing anything you're dead do you catch the analogy here Verse 6, if anyone does not abide or remain in me, he's thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire to be burned. We don't like to hear that. That's not fun. What is the analogy of burning and thrown into the fire? Hell. But that's not a popular topic in our pulpits across the United States today, so we'll just gloss over that. Verse 7, I'm just kidding, we're not. We're going to get back to it. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Huh. That new sports car. I really want, if I'm abiding in Christ, he's going to give me a sports car. He's going to give me that promotion. He's going to, that next lottery ticket I buy, if you gamble, is going to be the right one. It's not what it's saying. You don't use God as a ticket to success by earthly ways and earthly standards. Actually, Jesus says, when you abide in him, it's going to get pretty rough. If you love me, people of the world will hate you, Jesus says in John chapter 16. Remember, when they hate you, they hated me first. Abiding in Christ doesn't exempt us from the storms of life, but it gives us the sustaining power to remain connected. I will sometimes look out my kitchen window when storms are happening to see how the trees, my apple trees are faring in the backyard. Because I have pruned and shaped them to grow in the way that gets the best out of them, it has become strong. And so when they're blown, they bend in the storms, but they don't break. Does this make sense? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love and keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, excuse me, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Oh, that's conditional. It's conditional on our part, not on his. If you love me, you will do this. And what does he say we should do? Keep his commandments. Why? Because he knows that in keeping those commandments and staying in lockstep with him in relationship is the means by which we reach the finish line of this thing called life. If you are abiding in your own ways, doing your own things apart from Christ, abiding in the world standards or abiding in your family standards that may not be quite in alignment with God's standards, it's not gonna end great. We have to abide in Christ. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what he's saying is if you abide in him, And if you love him, you'll obey his commands. And what does he say as a result of that? It's a three-letter word. Joy. Joy. And what is Galatians 5, verses 23, 24, 25, around in there, what does Paul tell us about joy? It is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So if we are doing the abiding and obeying the commandments of Christ, the natural production of that will be joy in our lives. This is my commandment. So Jesus reminds them again. He's taught them this whole time, it has come the end of the road for him because he's getting ready to be crucified, and he says, just in case you forgot, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, what's the difference in the world's love and in Jesus' love? Is it different? A couple of you think it is. But see, the sad reality is in our churches and from many of our pulpits today, the love that we talk about from here, we actually equate with the love of the world way too often. There's a term going on out there called love is love. And it depends on what kind of love we're talking about. And I know that's not a popular thing to say. This will probably get us shut down on YouTube later on today. The reality is, love is love if in the context of who Christ is. Actually, the scripture tells us that God is love. 1 John. Not just once, but twice. And when something's repeated, you take note. If God is love, then what does that mean? Well, it's this agape love. And actually, you can actually actually unpack what godly agape love is. It is the selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It's not based on romantic feelings. It's not based on friendship. It's not based on familial relationships. It's based on the sheer fact that that is a command we are called to regardless of the recipient of it. Even our enemies are ones Jesus calls us to love. That's why this love is different than the slogan that's going around right now, that love is love. Love is more in the kingdom of God than we like to talk about. Greater love is no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends and he says you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me Jesus says but I chose you and appointed you that you appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name he may give it to you. Do you know that when you are fully abiding in Christ, you are connected to the vine, which gives you nutrients, it gives you love, it gives you all of the stuff you necessarily need to live this thing called faith in Christ. Do you, now, if you are living for Christ, what do you think your desires will look like? Right. Your desires have to be crucified, so that you could take up your cross and follow Him. Luke nine twenty three, Jesus says, "If you want to be my follower, deny yourself." One of the gospels says, "Deny yourself daily, take up my cross and follow me." So if I'm denying myself and my personal desires and taking on the desires of Christ for me, then whatever I ask in that way it will be done. When my desires are supplanted by Christ's desires in me, my desires are in alignment with his purposes and wills. And so when I pray for those kinds of things, it will be done. Does that make sense? But a lot of us go to, go to Jesus selfishly. We look at him as a vending machine of prayer requests And if he doesn't answer in the way we want him to, with the right kind of product we're expecting, and in the timing, then we don't think that he's trustworthy or faithful, and so we move on to the next vending machine in life. We think that maybe it got stuck in one of those rings up there. And so we got to keep banging on it and shaking it to get what we want from God. God is not like that. God is so much more than we could ever ask or imagine or conceive. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that even the fruit we bear should come as a product and a result of abiding in him correct? So that whatever you ask in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will, what? (laughs) Love one another. See, it all circles back to love. See, God's not just saying, do as I say, not as I do. And actually, he could actually say that. (laughs) Right? And technically, that's required of us. Because if we follow in the ways of Christ, we follow in the ways of suffering in many respects. Here's the key point, the practice of patience requires abiding in Christ and loving one another. What is abiding required? Abiding requires connecting. When my trees were younger and growing, I would look and assess the trees. So like I said, branches that are growing like this, if they're still more of a sapling nature, you can actually tie a weight or a spike to this with a string and you can pull it down to train it to grow this way. Did you know that? I didn't either until I read about it. But sometimes the best thing to do is just cut it off. But you have to train the branches to grow this way sometimes, especially when it's younger. Sometimes when they're growing, there may be a new bud of growth off the trunk. You don't cut it right away unless you've already got a nicely shaped tree. Sometimes you want to see, okay, will this become something that will abide and will produce? Connecting in Christ is surrendering your life to him and making him Lord of your life. We call this salvation. We call this a conversion experience where you were an old creation, and when you come to Christ, you become a new creation. It's consider the vine or the tree where that bud of new growth comes out the trunk. It's fresh. It's fragile. Anything that hits it can can knock it off if you're not careful. So you have to protect it. You have to care for it. You have to nurture it to see what it's going to become. If it continues to grow and gain nutrients from the trunk of the tree It will grow stronger and it'll go from having this green exterior uh, little sprout into having a harder, woodier, barky type texture. Why? Because this branch, this new growth is starting to mature. Do you catch what's happening? And if you want to continue to nurture it, you protect it, you keep it safe, you let it continue to grow, gaining nutrients from the trunk, which comes from the roots, and it will continue to grow out that way. And then you start to shape it as it grows. Because you don't want it to just grow willy-nilly, you need to get the best out of it. And so you continue to cut off the growth on it that is not helping it. What are some things in your own life, as you've grown as a believer in Christ, that are sucking life and energy away from you, that are redirecting necessary resources that God is desiring to give you away from really producing in your life what he desires to produce through you? I hear so many people say, I don't have enough time to do X, Y, or Z that really pertain to living out their faith in Christ. I don't have time to read the Bible, Brandon. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to be a part of a small group. And so these branches are growing, but they're still fragile. They're stunted. Or the growth off of them is pulling away from what God truly desires in their lives. Connecting necessarily requires producing, but producing is a process that requires maturity. Does this make sense? And if there's a little branch that's on there that never grows any bigger than staying this little green sapling of a branch, it's never going to produce. Now, what does Jesus say he does with those Non-productive branches. See, this is akin to hearing Jesus say often when we get to heaven or stand in judgment and, and, and we say, but Father, we did this in your name and that in your name. Depart from me for I never knew you. We really weren't abiding. We were just subsisting for our own purposes rather than for his purposes in us. I think this is one of the scariest things is to sit in what you think is security but being deceived because you're not producing anything of eternal value for Christ. And we don't like to hear that message. We like to hear the love and the forgiveness and all of that, but we don't like to hear that there's responsibility on our part when we come to Christ, do we? Am I losing you guys? Okay, I just, are we still together here? If you are connected and you're not producing, you stand in judgment of being cut off and thrown into the fire heap. Do you know we, and this isn't meant to be a shameless plug, and it's not about you just volunteering here at church, but the reality is if you don't have time to invest in the things of the kingdom of God that have eternal worth and value by making disciples of others, then what are you doing? There should never be a, be a volunteer deficiency in the church. I read Acts 2 42 through 47. In the early church, after the day of Pentecost, it says that they met together in homes daily, studying the apostles' teaching, breaking bread together, including the Lord's Supper, praying and fellowship and worshiping together. That was daily. We barely get together on a Sunday, and that's only if we don't have something better to do. In small groups, Oh, that's another day of the week. And please understand, I'm not condemning anyone that doesn't do those things on a regular basis, but if you don't have those life-giving forces breathing life into you and sharpening you as iron sharpens iron, then where are you getting your strength? Where are you getting your nourishment? Because I guarantee you, the world is like, it's like poison to the body of Christ. Not that we should avoid the world, we are to be in the world and actually being this antiseptic wherever we go to fix the disease in the world. We've never been called to cocoon ourselves off from Christ. Rather, we are to call others to become new growth attached to the vine who is Christ. That is what production is. When you produce, you produce fruit. What is inside of the fruit that is also reproducible? I hear a lot of unless you're hissing at me, you're right, it's seeds. When we produce fruit, we produce the potential for ongoing development and production. We don't produce fruit just to say, look at my fruit, it's cute. Look, it's so shiny. No, we produce fruit for the means of producing more fruit in other people's lives. We have been given seed to plant. And that seed is not of our own making, but of God's making through us so that we take the good news to others with those seeds that we have produced in the fruit that is coming off of the branch of our own life. And we allow it to fall hopefully into softened, cultivated soil that is willing to receive new life. But not all seed falls on good soil, does it? Sometimes it falls on bad soil. Sometimes the birds pick up the seed, run off with it. Sometimes the seed that we are planting does get planted in a heart or the life of an individual, but because the life Is it ready for it or is not cultivated enough? Is shallow when difficult times come? They just say, okay, I didn't sign up for this. Sometimes the seed that God wants to plant through our testimony in our lives and other people's lives takes root, but then the cares and the worries of this world crowd out the growth of that seed and it dies but we can't produce anything unless we are first connected. And if you're sitting within an earshot of my voice and this sounds like a foreign concept to you, have you truly made a decision to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you truly surrendered to him so that you become that new growth, that branch that can produce something even more than yourself? The second thing is abiding requires producing. You just said that, right? If it's not producing, it gets cut off. It gets thrown in the trash heap to later be burned. Maybe you're abiding in Christ, you're connected to him by your growth, but your growth has been stunted. Maybe the cares and the burdens of this life, such as the storms that bend the branches of a tree, have stressed you to point of nearly breaking and instead of producing fruit, you're barely hanging on. How many of you feel that way? A couple of us, right? If we're being honest, You're like, I have bent so much, I'm about to break. Or maybe you're not overly burdened, but you're just laying low, staying under the radar so that you won't be noticed. It's easy to come to a big building like this with several people sitting in the pews and to not be noticed. And for a season, that's okay if you're going through a time of healing, but if you stay that way, you become unproductive. Sure, maybe you believe in Jesus, but you don't have any time in your life to serve him with your life. You say to yourself, when things slow down, then I'll give him more myself. Or I've put in my time, it's somebody else's turn to step up to the plate. Or when the kids are grown, or when I retire, when I have enough money, when I, then I'll serve you. You know how many times Jesus had people come to him that were that way? Jesus, let me go home and bury my father, and then I'll come back and serve you then I'll follow you. Now we think that is a horrible thing. If Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. He's so insensitive. Dad's on the deathbed. Actually, no, dad wasn't on the deathbed more than likely because of the cultural norms of the day. The son would have been the one through whom the next or the responsibility would have been given as the next patriarch of the family. But the patriarch was still living. Let my father die first. let me come to you after my father has died. And I've fulfilled my obligation as a son to him, and then I'll come follow you. Do you see that's what he, and he says, well, let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus says, nobody puts their hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for the kingdom. Why? What happens if, and they plowed by oxen and, and donkeys and stuff behind a plow. If I'm holding the handles of a plow and there's a, there's a, a, a beast of burden pulling my plow and I look back, what, what, what happens to my plow? I'm steering the animal off course. Do you, do you catch the analogy of what Jesus is saying? You're not fit for the kingdom if you do that. You either follow me or you don't. It's, there's not a middle road here. Jesus didn't give us a third option. We, we, love, we love to go into the grocery store, into the cereal aisle, and have a whole aisle of options. But then many of us get paralyzed with too many options. Jesus didn't overcomplicate things. Do you know who overcomplicates and confuses things? We call him the enemy, Satan, the devil, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. If there's not a million different options available to you, then it's not good enough. Jesus gives us two believe in me. Or not? Do you know what he desires for us? Because it's not like Jesus is going around, believe, you can believe in me or not, whatever. <laughs> he wouldn't have died for us if that was the case. Jesus' desire is that we all come to a knowledge of him and that none of us perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What are we doing with that message? How is it penetrated and grown in our hearts and lives? And is it producing fruit? What are you doing with what you know? To know the right thing and to not do it is just as much as sin as doing the wrong thing. Does this make sense? If you're connected, you're gonna be producing. And there is no time like the present to be producing. Apart from Christ, he says we can do nothing. That is a pretty stoic and sober sober statement, isn't it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll show you. I can make something out of my life. Yeah, you can be a tremendous success by the world's standards and lose everything. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Well... The sad, sad reality is we oftentimes live for ourselves or each other than for Christ, who is the author and perfecter of life. And we neglect the reality that to be connected to him means to be more than we can ever conceive or imagine. But I think oftentimes our trust is not in him as much as it should be. And so we're not producing much for the kingdom of God because we're working so hard to produce what the world says is success and purposeful. In Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, some of us will make it by the skin of our teeth. Now, he doesn't say it so much, but he says the works that we are producing, the life that we are living, the things that we are building in this life, he said, When the judgment comes and all of that is burnt up, some of us will have all of those works burnt away that actually had no eternal significance and we'll get in by the flames of fire, you know, singeing our backside. Pretty much is what he says. I would like to think that I'm building something of eternal value, not for my sake, but for his. Here's another way of doing it. Here's... Some people think, "Oh, I got another crown in my another jewel in my crown." I remember growing up in the church, and the more you do for Christ, the bigger hierarchy you have in the kingdom of God. I'm going to I'm going to have a bigger mansion or more, you know, success. you're thinking about it all wrong. If that's what you grew up with in the church, I apologize that was a false teaching. You're not going to get extra jewels and crowns and more success in the kingdom of heaven. When you cross from this life into the next life, you will step in with your head bowed low before the king of kings, said the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We won't walk in strutting our stuff with a longer robe or some greater crown. We have to enter into that space with the greatest of humility. We can enter in with confidence because of what Christ has done, but we can never enter in with arrogance. Being connected with Christ puts things in proper perspective. Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages, we should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had that while being in the very form God, didn't consider equality with God as something to cling to. Do you know what that means? It means that he didn't he was God in the flesh. Paul was saying Jesus was God, but he didn't walk around saying, hey guys, I'm God, bow down to me, right? He didn't walk around strutting his stuff, and yet he did in a way that was humble. See, this is why he wasn't recognized by the religious leader and the vast majority of those who should have known better, because they had been so deceived by their stubbornness and arrogance and pride that when they had God standing right in their presence, they missed it. They were dead branches on the vine. They had become unproductive, lording over others and living a life of hypocrisy. Do you see ministers like that in our culture today? Do you see confessed or professed Christians living that way today? Christians are no better than the rest of the world except by the sheer fact that we've been saved by grace through faith. And that's the message we go to the world with. And while we are connected, when we are producing, it is the Holy Spirit who produces through us. This term I was growing up, let go and let God has some truth to it. I hate old phrases and cliches, but the reality is if we are able to get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to do through us what only He can do, then we actually produce. Well, Brandon, how do I do that? <clears throat> well, it takes, it takes you getting out of your own head. I've been, pro- I told this, I, I taught a conference all this week at Whitehall Camp and Conference Center Uh, They asked me to teach on discipleship, and so I did the who, what, why, when, where, and how of discipleship, because I wanted to get to the basics. I wasn't sure the audience I was talking to, and I figured I wouldn't go in with this level. I'd come in at the entry level, and then we'll build up by the end of the week. And so while I'm there, I'm talking about some of my own testimony of how I messed up my walk, how I... Done things I shouldn't have done and how I've not done things I know I should have been doing. There was a time when I was a senior pastor back in uh, in Ohio, Dayton, Ohio. And one of the medical centers that I would go to occasionally was the Columbus Medical Center at the University of Columbus. They have a medical center over there. It was about an hour drive to get there. And so I was there one day visiting with one of our parishioners who had gone in for surgery and the cancer centers lined this large courtyard. There was a cancer center on the right and left that were connected together, but the main hospital was straight ahead and so it was this open courtyard with sidewalks in it. So I'm walking in, I go do my thing, pray over the individual and then I'm coming back out and I notice on one of the benches next to the cancer center there's a lady Probably in her 20s or 30s, balled up like this with her knees to her chest on this park bench, just bawling. It's an hour drive back to Dayton, Ohio. I have got to get back. There are other things. There are other appointments I've got to meet. And so I'm walking, and I see her in the distance down this, down this open courtyard area, and I can tell she's crying. And what do I do? There's a conviction in me, I need to stop and pray with her and check to see if she's okay. But then there's this other side of me that says, I don't have time. I mean, there's somebody waiting on me back in in Dayton. I've got an hour to get there. If I even stop for 10 minutes, it's going to put me late. And so I'm having this internal struggle. I'm ashamed to say that I allowed the human side of me that was pressed for time to keep walking. I've regretted it now. Gosh, that's probably been 15 years ago. And it's just as fresh and it's just as painful to say as it is to think that I missed an opportunity. The Holy Spirit was convicting me and I disobeyed. Now I believe God has forgiven me and given me grace. The harder thing is forgiving myself for not being obedient to what God's called me to. I missed an opportunity to plant a seed, to be a healing word of encouragement, or just to sit in silence next to another human being who was broken. All because I was too busy. I don't know if you've ever had opportunities like that in your life where you know that you... Feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit that you need to do this. But you have a choice in the matter, and what have you chosen? If you've chosen to not give in to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to do that thing which you know you should do, you miss an opportunity for producing something in somebody else's life that God is desiring for you to do. We are his hands, his feet, in many cases his voice. I will be honest with you, since that time, I've, I've stopped because I can remember the regret of that hour-long drive back to Dayton, Ohio. It was the worst feeling I could ever have, and I've had really bad feelings before, but that was one of those where I just, I just couldn't live with myself in those moments, not because of any other reason, but I disobeyed God and I missed an opportunity to speak the truth in love. Which leads me to the last and the next point. Abiding requires loving. Abiding requires being connected and staying connected. It requires producing of a life filled with love for Christ and Christ's love in and through us But it also requires loving. This is hard. You cannot produce if you have no love in you within the kingdom of God. Did you know being connected to the vine is not about you? It's always about him. For he is our source for everything. If he is our source for everything, then his love is going to be living through us. This is why we say... We love because he first, what? Loved us. We can't love the way he loves unless his love abides in us and we abide in him. We can love with the love of the world, and the love of the world is very conditional, but the love of God is unconditional. Look at verses 9 through 14 again. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. How do we remain in God's love? Actually, God loves God loves us even when we're the most unlovable, even when we're not connected to him. God loves regardless of who we are. But his love spanned eternity, stepped into time, took on the form of a human, died on a cross so that we might have everlasting life and be able to partake in his love for an eternity. That's what Jesus means by abide in my love. Abide in my love. Just, uh, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus didn't see us as a checklist of, okay, I've abided this commandment, I've done this commandment, I've done this commandment. There's a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in one of the Gospels, says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. And what does the rich young ruler say? I've done all those things. I mean, I've not done all those things. Yeah, I've abided by those commands. And Jesus says, okay, what I want you to do is go home, sell off everything you own, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, a couple things in that story, it's a whole different sermon in and of itself, is that we know he walked away dejected. But we don't know if he ever came back. We may step into those pearly gates someday and may see him having really calculated the cost and saying, everything that I own is not worth losing my soul. Now, God may not be telling you to go sell off everything you own and give it to the poor. That was for that specific guy. But that specific guy had enough wealth in his life that that was his idol. Jesus knew it. He knew he didn't have struggles with murder or adultery or those kind of things, but he knew he had struggles with the love of money and the love of possessions. What is the thing that inhibits you from living and loving the way God first loved you? Is there something inhibiting you? Is it a relationship in your life that you need to forgive? Is it an addiction you need to get rid of? What is it that has become... That sucker in your life that keeps you from loving the way God first loved you. The most poisonous thing in living a fulfilled life is a lack of love. And it must be understood and noted that the only love, that only the love of God has the sustaining power to last forever. And one of the greatest qualities of this love is it gives. Love never takes This is why when I meet with couples whose marriages may be on the rocks or I'm talking with a couple that's getting ready to get married, when you don't feel love toward each other, get over it. And here's the reason why. Because love is not a feeling or an emotion. It is an action. Love gives. The kind of love that we are called to have for one another is agape love. Even in Ephesians 5, where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Did you know the word given there is not eros? Romantic love, it's agape love. Because what did Jesus do for his bride, the church? He gave himself for her to make her holy and clean. And it wasn't a love like Jesus didn't, I mean, I'm guessing Jesus who was acquainted with everything and all emotions and decisions that we are acquainted with didn't wake up always feeling love but because he was the embodiment of love, gave opportunities for that love to connect with others. This is why you can see him going into various different cities and places and healing and touching and going to those people who would never have been gone to or touched by the religious leaders of his day. Because love gives opportunity to be received. Do you know there's a world broken and has a perverted ideology of what true love really is and they need to see it from the body of Christ? God's love is true love and that's the love we are to give if we are to abide in Christ. As our worship team comes forward this morning, we need to understand what it means to abide. Maybe, you're, maybe you have been wounded by the church and you have the scars to prove it and you're a beaten up branch barely hanging on. You need to be bandaged. You need to be cared for. But a part of that is your responsibility too, that you need to say, listen, I can only take ownership for me. I can't take ownership for what others have done to me. But I also know that Christ is good and holy and righteous. If you're broken, if you're torn, (laughs) if you don't even know this Jesus I've been talking about, and what it means to truly connect, it just takes a complete forgiveness, or excuse me, a complete forgiveness of yourself to some degree, a forgiveness of others. But really more than that, it takes God forgiveness of you and he's offered that completely. And he says, listen, I'm gonna offer you this. You, you, I'm not expecting you to clean yourself up. Let me do that with you, okay? You just step over, over here. Well, why do I have to step over there? Do you know how far God stepped to reach us? And he stepped, he, he, he's taken a million steps in our directions and expects one from us. He's not going to take, nor can he take that last step for us. Sorry, that's not how this works. And when I say he can't take that last step, I legitimately mean that. He will not override your free will to choose or to reject him. That's why he offers. And he stepped as far as he can in your direction. And now holds his hand out and says, will you step in mine? This is why when Peter's sinking after he's walking on the water and he starts to sink, Jesus offers a hand to help him up. Why? Because he doubted. Not in Jesus' ability, but in his own ability to do what Jesus had called him to do. Do you ever doubt your own ability? If you are completely connected to Christ and producing fruit that builds up the kingdom in the way that you are uniquely gifted to do, guess what? You're going to be able to walk on water, figuratively speaking, to do the things Jesus says. You will do even greater things than you've seen me do. But we don't believe that. And so we cocoon ourselves off from the rest of society. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And Jesus says, remember, remember I'm with you to the end of the age. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, he guides, he convicts, he rebukes when necessary, but he always loves Let's pray. Father, in this place, um, I don't know how this message fell. I don't know how your word went out, but I do know that it doesn't go out void. And so however it lands, Father, I pray that it lands in such a way as to transform lives. Not because I've spoken it, but because it was spoken by you nearly 2,000 years ago. If there are broken lives in here, lives not connected to the vine who is Christ? I pray that they would be grafted in, that they would become new growth. If there are lives here that are connected, but aren't producing the fruit of the kingdom through the lives that they live, I pray, Father, that you would help them to readjust their schedules, their lives, so that the priorities of the kingdom would become their priorities. Doesn't mean that we have to quit our jobs, Father. Remind us that everything in its proper place is producible in the way that brings new life and good life. Remind us that in the marketplace, on the assembly line, driving a truck, doing whatever we are doing for livelihood can be a ministry, can be a production of the faith and the fruit that lives within us, God. Give us Opportunities, And let us not miss those opportunities by walking by and not being obedient. Create within us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.